welcome back guys. If you're new, welcome. This is the Curiosity Complex with me, Nat. Today, oh, such a good episode for you all. I actually did a really good intro for this one. Um, unbelievably, I know it's crazy. But I actually did a really, really good intro for this one with Tom. But uh, yeah, it just uh, I'm still doing it again because, yeah. Anyway, um, we're here now, so that's that. This is a fantastic episode. We do talk about um, a fair bit of stuff, and some of it's so funny. I had absolute pleasure talking to him. He's a great guy, and I hope you all enjoy it a lot, a lot, a lot. Because I know I did. I absolutely did. Um, so without further ado, let's get right into it. Tom, introduce yourself. Hello, mate. Yeah, um, Yeah. well, thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, my name's Tom Major. Um, what to say about myself? Uh, well, I'm a PhD student at Bangor University. Yeah. Um, we met through American football. I, yeah. I had a I had a brief foray with American football in my past. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm just uh, I'm I'm sort of um, yeah. My PhD is kind of my main uh, sort of occupation at the time uh, at the moment. Uh, yeah. I study snakes for a living, which um, is I guess quite unusual. Um, job. Yeah, but that's me. Um, yeah, like just another banger person um like i say met you met you through the old uh the banger mud dogs yeah yeah okay well um yeah you've you've done a pretty good job there actually the the first thing i guess i want to talk to you about is um your time at uni so you did um did you do zoology with herpetology like kurt and that lot no i didn't actually um I I didn't even study in Bangor before I came here to do a PhD. Oh, wow. okay. um, yeah, no, my like my route to biology was actually really circuitous because when I was at school, um, I just wasn't really about studying very hard, and so I didn't actually even manage to get an A level in biology. I got an AS level. I got a DAS level. Oh, so did I. Did you? <laughs> yes, mate. It's all about the D's at AS level. Um, <laughs> No, yeah. I've got an E, but that's that's fine. D's, E's, they're the same. I mean, um, they're both a fail, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I think actually, I think, it, is a D a fail? I feel like... No, D, I feel like D, D's not a fail, to be fair. It just makes me feel better if I think we both failed. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, no, I'm sure an E is also a pass, man. I think you're in there. Maybe. I think it's only an F, which is a fail. I don't know. I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so... I initially started off, I did geography as an undergraduate degree. Oh, uh, Yeah, I studied that in Plymouth. Uh, started that 2009 to 2012. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I wasn't really, I mean, like, I've always been interested in animals and stuff. But, it, like, massively interested, actually, to be fair. That is a, that is a big understatement. I was really interested in, <laughs> yeah. particularly reptiles as a kid. Yeah. But, but then, um, yeah, for my degree, I did geography, and I actually got really interested in like historical geography, geographies of empire. Oh wow! So, yeah, so I was my dissertation was actually about um, the Mau Mau uprising in Kenya, which was yeah nineteen like nineteen fifty two to nineteen sixty. It's kind of the the end of the British Empire, and in Kenya, there's this big uprising where um, the Kikuyu tribe are just kind of rallying against their English oppressors. And the British just did some really, really horrible stuff, set up concentration camps. Oh, um, yeah, like a really dark period in in our collective history. So yeah, I just kind of did a... My, my dissertation was all about whether or not news reports, which were being 
written in the UK were actually honest reflections of what was going on in Kenya at the time. I was quite curious about like propaganda and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And um, as it turned out, what was savage about it was actually that um, the news reports that we were getting were actually really quite accurate. A lot of the atrocities were being reported in like accurate detail. Yeah. But, but because the uh, Kenyan people were being dehumanized to such an extent, no one really cared. Okay, yeah, yeah. So it's pretty bleak, actually, the findings of that. That is grim, yeah. But that was kind of what I was interested in back then. And then um, after I graduated, I ended up, well, I worked in a mayonnaise factory for a little while. Uh, (laughs) That that was, uh, yeah, that was, I mean, that was just hard, really. It was just a bit of a slog. Um, Yeah, yeah, working like shift work at a mayonnaise factory. We we also made the, um, you know, Domino's dip pots with garlic mayo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So... The factory was like the only place in the whole of the UK where those were made. So we... That is such a massive claim to fame. I love it. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty random. So I used to just um, bring back loads and loads of dip pots. Um, But I also used to some days spend like a lot of hours just like flipping them over and making sure they were the right way up before they went into the boxes, which was like (laughs) pretty soul destroying. That sounds tedious. Yeah, yeah, it's oh, pretty, pretty random job. And then, yeah, after that, I went traveling for a bit. And then it was while I was traveling, I kind of like saw a bunch of snakes and kind of rekindled my love for animals. And then um, my girlfriend ended up doing a master's when we got back. She studied oceanography. And while she was doing that, I was like working in a um, like a sort of investments company, but just doing admin stuff. And that got me interested back in studying because I was like, wow, she's having a great time. She's like, learning loads um and i think masters you kind of you get treated a little bit differently than undergrad and i think um you also yeah i don't know about you as well but like i feel like uh much more mature when i entered my master's degree than when i entered my undergraduate i think that's probably the case for most people but yeah yeah sorry go on no I, i do agree with you i think it's just the way the way people talk to you is just different a lot of the time you know the lecture is I don't know if they give you more respect, but there's a difference in the way the lecturers interact with you. That's for sure. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. I think abso- I think so. And um, yeah, that kind of appealed. Yeah, yeah. You're definitely kind of a little bit. You're definitely an echelon up, and so yeah. Yeah. that kind of appealed. Yeah, uh, yeah. And I went back and did a master's in ecology at the University of Exeter. Okay, cool. Um, and that was ace. Like one of the modules was a field trip to Kenya, so we went to Kenya oh, for two no weeks. No way, that's sick. Yeah, it was wild. Yeah, it was just like we went on safari, and it just like used the safari as an excuse to learn a bunch of like ecological census techniques and that kind of stuff. Love um, you love to see it. Yeah, we saw like loads of chameleons. Um, you know all your all your classic big five animals so that was really fun and then I actually wound up doing my dissertation project on chameleons while I was well when I got back we had a um, like temperature controlled lab and we had these eight flat-necked chameleons chamelea dilepis which are um, yeah they're like this sort of like African savanna chameleon that's got these big lobes behind their heads which they can like pop up when they're threatened yeah and that's why they call them flat-necked chameleons um chameleons that's crazy yeah they were really neat little creatures i mean they were dicks like chameleons <laughs> hate people i mean it's unfair to say that because they're obviously afraid of me but 
yeah, I mean, they would just like flare up, try and bite you 24-7. They're always angry and they hate each other as well. Chameleons, they're not friends with other chameleons. They're like some of the most territorial animals I've ever witnessed. Oh, God. Um, but yeah, we were like putting them in different colored arenas. We'd like take them out of their uh, big vivariums and then we'd put them in these like um, plain arenas that were colored different colors. So we had like a yellow one a blue one, an orange one, and a brown one. And yeah. we would see if they would change colour over time to match their surroundings. Which, unfortunately, none of them really did. So yeah. it, was, <laughs> it was a bit of a mute yeah, experiment. I go, and it worked, and they all changed colours. It was amazing to see. No, no, oh. sadly not. That they, I'm sure they can change colour, but um, they, didn't, they didn't change colour in that situation. And we also did another experiment where we put them on different pattern backgrounds to see if their patterns would change. Yeah. And yeah, there was no real evidence of that either. So um, yeah. Okay. But I mean that, it's interesting in of itself because you know, like the commonly held belief is that chameleons are colour changing to match their environment all the time. At least for those ones they weren't. So Yeah, yeah. I mean yeah, I guess that's something to talk about, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So it got the got the uh, got the thesis written up anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. That's that's all you need really. Yeah. yeah. And then you went on to a PhD, and we're back. We're back in Bangor now. Um, well, you you are at least. Um, and what is your what is your PhD on? Which is actually a really interesting topic. I want to know more about. Yeah, and so um, they're like broadly, it's biological sciences, um, but specifically, I study the Escalapian snake, which is a European rat snake, which has been accidentally introduced into Wales in Colwyn Bay, which is only a few miles away from Bangor, a little bit east. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so like in the 1960s, the Welsh Mountain Zoo, uh, the former director of the zoo was like an importer of reptiles as well as a uh, zoo director. Yeah. And yeah, at some point or another, he imported some reptiles from Italy and one or more, we're hopefully going to work out how many exactly founded the population yeah. with some of the genetic stuff we're doing. But um, yeah, at some point along the line, some got out. And then one day, uh, Nick, who is Nick Jackson, he's the current director of the zoo. Um, someone just came to him and was like, yeah, I just found this baby snake. And he was like, what? What's this? <laughs> and he was like, it looks a bit like a grass snake, but it's not a grass snake. Anyway, yeah. he showed it to someone else or looked in his books and worked out it was this Escalapian snake. And sure enough, as it turned out, there was already a population there and they were breeding. So yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, fast forward 60 years and um, yeah, the topic of my PhD is to kind of work out, well, how they're using the environment, what their habitat choice is, um, their spatial ecology, so like distances, their ranging, activity patterns, yeah, yeah. Um, and then also um, like how many there are, doing a big mark recapture study to try and work out how many there are, percentage males, females, survivorship of juveniles, um, and yeah, some genetic analysis to see how genetically varied the population is because in a lot of introduced species you start off with uh, a real bottleneck in population size and yeah. that can lead to a big reduction in genetic diversity within that population and there's some evidence they call it fat the founder effects and there's some evidence that um, species which undergo this bottleneck can be kind of challenged into the future because they don't possess the uh, genetic capabilities to adapt and overcome change and that kind of stuff Wow. So yeah, that's something we're we're in the process of doing at the minute is um, collecting a bunch of samples and hopefully doing some quite cool like next generation sequencing type stuff to um, yeah work out exactly what's going on with their genetics. That is so interesting. Oh my god, 
<laughs> Cheers. Yeah, no, it's, it's been an absolute blast, to be honest with you, to do it. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm two years in now. Uh, and I really don't know where the time's gone. I try not to think about it because it is slightly stressful. Um, <laughs> <laughs> <All right>. uh, <laughs> I won't dwell on it then. <laughs> yeah, no, but I mean, um, yeah, like loads of field work and um, yeah, it's just, it's great. I've got two master students that work with me that are just really fun to hang around with. So yeah, it's 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 really great. And um, people are a lot, I mean, yeah, like Bang is quite well known for herpetology. So my main supervisor, um, Dr. Wolfgang Worcester, like he's he's a really well known guy. He's like a super genius at herpetology. So yeah, it's like really, really good to work for him and stuff. So yeah, I'm very fortunate in the position yeah. I'm in work-wise at the moment. That's amazing. That's so cool. Um, so you keep, uh, you keep snakes yourself as well um, mm -hmm. as, a, as a hobbyist and uh, breeder as well um in the future hopefully yeah that's yeah. the kind of intention yeah so you have um uh well just run us through all the snakes you currently have and then i'll delve into the specifics of them okay yeah yeah um so i mean you saw all this stuff because you were here the other day but yeah. for, the audience, <laughs> for the benefit yeah. of the audience yeah i don't need you reminded because that was so <laughs> cool but everyone else listening unfortunately didn't get to see yeah no it was nice it was good it's like it's always fun to have people around that are like so excited and enthusiastic it's kind of like an injection of enthusiasm but yeah i've yeah. got so there's um i've got one boa constrictor um who i've had since i was 13 he's pretty big um, <laughs> yeah i've got a boa imperator which is like another of the same genus they were thought to be the same species but like a year or two ago someone published a paper and was just like hey the ones east of the Andes and the ones west of the Andes, different species. So yeah, yeah. deal with it. Um, <laughs> so that's now a common boa, whereas the boa constrictors of red-tailed boa, I mean, they look slightly different. For one thing, the common boa is actually albino. So she looks ridiculous. Like she, <laughs> she just looks like a ginormous banana, um, which you wouldn't get in the wild, obviously. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they're different. Um, but yeah, they're quite cool. They're both quite big snakes, particularly the male uh, boa constrictor. But I mean, he's like, what, 15? going on 16 years old so okay, yeah yeah should be big um and then i've got a variable king snake who belongs to my girlfriend she he was a christmas present for her like five years ago he's quite a cool little snake he's just orange and red and stripy and little just yeah. <laughs> a cute little guy yeah. um and i've got a corn snake who again is like a really old snake i've had her since i was 11 um she is just like really friendly um yeah also orange um and then i got the two solomon island ground boas which they're really cool um they're just crazy little um well they're tiny boas but i think i was saying to you when you were here they they're boas but they're found in the pacific which like doesn't make sense they're, they're found like the islands like fiji well the solomon islands um, Papua, this whole genus of called Kandoya is basically there when all the other boas in the world pretty much are like in the Americas or in the Caribbean. Yeah. So they, they represent this like massive rate, well, not even massive. I mean, there's quite a few species, but this radiation of boas that just found themselves somehow adrift in the sea and then just like on islands, the complete opposite side of the earth to where they should be. Yeah. Which is like bonkers. I rate them highly for that alone. Um, they are, then, yeah, they're pretty amazing survivors, aren't they? Yeah, they're 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 just they're just so weird as well. They've got these like really keeled scales, which is where 
um, each individual scale has like a line running along it. Like if you imagine the reason they're called keeled is because it's the same thing that a boat does. The boat has a keel and that like helps it to sort of cut through the water. Um, and each one of their scales has that. And I think the consensus is that that helps snakes that are like fossorial get through leaf litter and stuff. Like if they're spending time underground, it kind of like yeah. eases their motion through stuff. Yeah. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if I've ever actually read that anywhere or whether that's just kind of like some old wives tale that i was told i'm not sure so don't quote me on that one but, but yeah they're, they're really weird little snakes they've just got like these really flattened heads and these like super pointy noses um and they're kind of chubby and they're like you know they're slow they're ambush predators um and they've got a really wide variety of colors too so the ones i've got the solomon island ground boas Candoya Pulse and I. I'm saying this like they're both mine. One of them actually doesn't belong to me. And I probably, <laughs> if Ryan's listening, I'll probably be like, mate, big enough. Yeah, one of them is uh, a guy called Ryan, who was a, a prior guest of yours, I believe, on the podcast. Yes, uh, Yeah, so he, I've got his mail uh, while he is away. Uh, he's gone to Australia for like possibly ever. He's going uh, crazy in Australia, man. He's doing some mental stuff i know mate i had a word with him the other day and i was like jesus i hope you're getting danger paid for some of this stuff like, yeah. <laughs> like helicopters over his head about like it's just that's just ridiculous i know yeah it's just he's like <laughs> living living life on the edge i spoke to him and i was like what have i actually done recently <laughs> he's there like popping wheelies and chasing cows around the outback and i'm just like plodding along but um yeah so there's those two boas and i've actually just put a new vivarium together for those and they're going to hopefully be going together once the plants have had a chance to kind of like grow out a bit so they don't crush the plants yeah um, they'll be going together and hopefully breeding yeah so yeah. that would be cool although they can have up to 60 babies yeah. which which would just be like chaotic to have that many snakes i can't yeah. even imagine i hope they have more like 10 because christ yeah but that's the thing because they're so small as well when they're adults the babies are even smaller yeah it's not it's not like you know a you know the boa common boa boa constrictors whatever they have um a quite a large litter but the babies themselves are already quite big when they come out mm. um, whereas i'm assuming these guys because they aren't big as adults anyway um they're going to be even smaller babies which is going to be an even bigger task trying to get all of those little ones into places where you can find them easily etc yeah well this is it um and like the guy well, actually, the guy who bred Ryan's one, the male, Dime, he told me that when he realised the female had had babies, he realised because there was literally baby snakes all over his house, like in his bathroom, he was finding them. And yeah, they're like matchstick size, like you say. So, yeah. I, you know, they, they get out through the little gaps in the glass and then they're just everywhere. And then <laughs> what made me what made me laugh again was like he told me this story. And then um, when I bought my one, the female, like a year later or whatever, I spoke to the breeder of her and she told me pretty much an identical story about the time that her female gave birth to the female. And so, yeah, it sounds like I'm going to have snakes all over the house, which is, I don't know, like that was, sounds quite fun. Yeah, that's, that's so funny. Yeah. Okay, well, um, it's actually this is the first time and along a similar vein of the kind of reptiles. Um, yeah, this is the first time I've had someone that's also has their own podcast. Uh, uh, a fellow a fellow podcaster or nemesis depending on which way you um, look at it <laughs> you get significantly more views than me i'm willing to bet um and you and it is testament because you put up a post saying you guys because uh, you took a little hiatus didn't you for summer yeah um 
and then then you posted your most recent episode um, a few weeks back, and it told because when I, whenever I post something on my page, I get about two likes um, from the same people. Shout out to those people. Um, yeah, big up OGs. Yeah, <laughs> literally the biggest supporters going. Um, but you got you got several comments and loads of likes, and some of them were like, "Oh, it's great to have you back. We've missed you, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. And I was like, "This is this is what I aspire to be like." <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, how long have you been doing this? Not very long. Uh, not long, about a month, I guess. Well, there you go. Yeah, I mean, we're two years now, so yeah. I think all that stuff comes with time. People have got to find it. Like, unless you're paying money to put your stuff out, I think it takes people a while. And then, um, yeah, no, it is like it's nice. And um, I mean, we've. I mean, our following is definitely modest, very modest in the grand scheme of things, which I'm like perfectly fine with. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it is like, to be honest, even little things like that, if we just get like one or two people comment, it's like, oh, okay, that's cool. Like, yeah, it nice, makes it, it? Yeah. yeah, it makes it feel really good. And I mean, that's like me, I, I do it with my friend Ben, Ben Marshall, who's um, another herpetologist. He actually works in Thailand, studies king cobras for a living, oh, which is so cool. But as cool as it gets, yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, when we started it off, <laughs> we were just literally like, if we get 10 people, listen, that would be sweet. That would be cool. As long as it's like, yeah, if there's 10 people, we'll do it. So, yeah, to get any more is um, is really, really nice. But the only, I mean, I mean, I can talk a bit about why we started the podcast, if, if you're interested. I, I would love, that's one of my questions, to be honest. You know, why did you start it? Because I've been battling with the same sort of question in my head. You know, why have I actually done this and then where am I going to take it sort of thing? Yeah, 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 for sure. Well, um, I mean, it all started because uh, Ben used to be a master student at Bangor as well. And um, at that time, I was living in a flat and Ben used to just come around and we'd chill out and like play video games or whatever. And then um, I was listening to, well, I've always kind of been quite interested in podcasts. There's quite a few reptile podcasts, which I listen to. But what I'd noticed was that well, actually, what I really wanted was um, a podcast that was about reptiles, but wasn't necessarily about the kind of keeping of reptiles so much as it was about the science of reptiles. Yeah. Um, and I, I was like, well, that doesn't really exist. Um, so then I was like, one day I just said to Ben, I was like, hey, I'm thinking about maybe starting a podcast. Or even, I can't even remember if the thought was that well developed when I first put it to him. I think I was just like, mate, what about podcasting? Um, because he was at the time studying for his master's degree he was studying toads which i mean if if you listen to our podcast the guy is like weirdly obsessed with toads <laughs> <laughs> it's like a running theme yeah um but yeah 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 he's a normal guy he's just got this toad thing but um yeah and i was like mate what do you reckon like should we give it a sort of blend try try and do a podcast um and he was like yeah like he was really enthusiastic so i think maybe a week later because at the beginning we didn't really have like a definite sort of um idea or plan of how we were going to do it because um we were just going to do like a chat show so we just thought well let's read a few scientific papers and then we'll each make a few notes and then we'll come together and like just talk about it um, yeah and i mean the first that i haven't i actually never re-listened to the first one and i probably never will because i think it would just make me cringe uh, <laughs> yeah but I think after a few, we kind of had like a bit of a sort of um, pattern going and we were just like, you know, chat away and it kind of like logically fell into kind of a rhythm. Um, and now we kind of do each one on a different topic. So, for example, um, the next one we're recording is going to be on like montane pit vipers from Central America. Oh, um, yeah, we recorded one. 
yeah we've done like you know ones on boas or sometimes we'll do like a particular adaptation that an animal might have like heat sensing pits or whatever it might be yeah. Um, so yeah no it's um it's just kind of like developed and then when we were first recording them it was cool because ben obviously lived in Bangor, so we were always together and we just he'd just come around to mine we'd have a couple of beers and we'd record an episode and chat away um but then obviously he got the job in thailand um and we were just like okay we'll have to work out something else but actually it hasn't been too much of a problem we just now record it over skype we each record audio and then whoever's editing it we send it over and it hasn't been too much of an issue the only problem well it's not even that big of a problem to be fair but um the time zone thing is an issue so yeah, yeah. it's quite it, i think it kind of helps lend something to the dynamic though because at the minute we're recording them 7 a.m my time and 1 p.m his time so he's like post lunch in like 35 degree heat so he's like maybe getting a bit sleepy after lunch and i'm there like fresh i've just woken up so it's quite yeah. good yeah. or vice versa if i'm like damn it's early and he's kind of been up for a while it can be quite a good sort of balancing act yeah yeah that sounds great so do you've got um you've got your own if you're wondering why his sound sounds so damn good compared to the usual um it's because tom has his own um microphone <laughs> which is more than i have at the moment and i'm hoping that's going to change soon um, but that's why he sounds impeccable and I sound shocking. Um, but yeah, so, you know, that's that's so interesting to me. You know, the the kind of you, you saw you almost saw a gap in the market and just thought, yeah, we'll do that. Yeah. Um, and it definitely it's quite, it's quite a big niche, isn't it? Because a lot of people I know personally, I, I only really look for um, or I only started looking for ones that was about keeping snakes. Mm. Um, and it was well, only I mean, there are some good ones. There are some really yeah, good ones. Yeah. Um, it's just kind of. I found, I mean, Morelia Python Radio is one. Yeah, man, they were the first one I got into. I, I actually went on that podcast. Have you what? No way. Yeah, me and Ben went on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those guys are so cool. Like, yeah, they're super chill. And that, I really like that format of podcast. They just chat to each other and they're like best mates. It's really you cool. Blowing, you are blowing my mind, Tom. Oh, <laughs> I had no idea. What episode is that? Do you know? Um, Off the top of my head, no. But, I mean, it was about... When was it? It was like last year in the summer, I think. So, I mean, they do one a week, so you probably have to go back about 50 episodes. I don't, well, they, do it. I don't I think they do have a break. Yeah. No, that was really cool because, yeah, they made a big effort on that because um, obviously, like, a lot of the people that they have on are, like, OGs of reptile keeping and, you know, yeah. they've they've done so much stuff. Um, well, the guys themselves are some OGs. Those guys breed copper pythons like no one else. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty wild um they are like extremely successful at what they do it's cool and they post pictures of some crazy animals um <laughs> but yeah no like because they've got another guy who's behind the scenes called rob stone um and he like does i mean i'm not sure exactly he does like some of the technical stuff for them and like they they have like a a yearly roundup show where they'll they'll have like a slightly different format and he'll have like pulled bits out and it'll be like funny and stuff yeah, yeah. um but for our episode rob because rob listens to our podcast he had like gone through our podcast and like taken some excerpts, which he thought were really cool as like discussion points. And then he would like play them. We'd all listen to them and then we'd like discuss stuff. So oh, that was sweet. That sounds so good. Yeah, it was nice. Cause I mean, like, I'm not sure if I would have had the kind of um, sort of regimen to discuss just my life for that long, like yeah. that specific. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, like it, it worked really well. Um, and actually, yeah, we're, I'm in quite regular touch with Rob. He's like always, like messaging me interesting stuff about various reptile related 
things that he's seen or heard. So that's quite cool. It's nice. Yeah. yeah. Oh, um, I didn't say what my podcast was called, did I? It's called Herpetological okay. Highlights. Herpetological yeah. Highlights. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's like I say, it's quite niche and it is very... Um, it's so niche. If you're not, if you're not got any idea about reptiles, it's maybe, maybe a, a tad advanced. It'll be no. poison for your ears if you don't like reptiles already. <laughs> you, you did a, if you do like reptiles, um, one episode I will recommend that I listened to um, a few weeks ago was your Woma Python episode, um, which I found so interesting. Um, oh, right a Woma Python's one of the one of the species of snake that I was thinking about um, is in kind of the running for me keeping, mm. um, and they're so interesting. You know, they have they have so many cool facts that I keep seeing. Um, I saw a fact, like say, I don't know, this hasn't been verified in any studies as far as I'm aware. But someone put on Instagram a picture of their Woma and was like, oh, I love my Woma. And did you know that they, um, they're they immune to like the venom of other snakes? Um, and I was like, well, that's pretty sick. Mm. Um, and then, you know, they the way they, their faces are so weird. Um, they're, they're mostly fossorial, so they'll, they'll stay underground a lot of the time um, and they'll burrow and stuff. Um, and, and apparently the way they catch and kill prey is to trap them with the side of their body against, against in their burrow sort of thing. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard that too. Which is just yeah. crazy. I mean, you see that behavior. Sometimes people try and feed them like that. So they put the rat on their side and then they'll they'll coil around it. Um, but it's, yeah, I, I don't know how, how true some of these things are, but it does sound like a really cool snake. Um, I mean, it stands to reason if they're, it seems, I mean, Excuse me. One of the papers that we covered in that episode, actually, um, was them like using rodent burrows and stuff. Yeah. Um, and if they're down there, then they're constricting underground and it stands to reason. And um, the bit about the snake venom immunity. Again, I've not read anything about it, but I know that um, their close relatives, black headed pythons, which are the same genus, yeah. they actually eat a lot of snakes. So, oh, yeah, right. okay. it yeah, could yeah. well it could well be that there's like this familial immunity i know that um what is it it's like uh, oh no okay i'm getting a bit confused but garter snakes are yeah there's lots of snakes that are immune to things um garter snakes are like slightly immune to the venom of like, copperheads and you've got king snakes in america that are immune to the venom of rattlesnakes so i mean if you're a, if you're a snake which is eating other snakes in australia you better hope you've got some immunities and venom or you're gonna get wrecked <laughs> ruined <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that's amazing that's a good point i guess um there are there are loads of species out there actually on that point have you ever thought about keeping um venomous whether that's you know rear fanged or actually venomous so um at home no um like i mean obviously i've entertained the idea there's a shop called contact pets which you've probably been to on the yeah. english welsh border yeah they're really good yeah, they've got um, eyelash palm pit vipers there, both wreckish legal I think eyes. they sold them, though. I'm really sad. I think they sold oh, them. I saw they were for sale, and that yeah. was probably the only time I've thought about it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, yeah, no. I mean, I actually had, well, when I was in, because I was actually out in Thailand. That's how I met Ben. Um, yeah. I did some volunteering at a place called Sakarat uh, Research Station, which is in northeast Thailand in Nakhon Rachasima province, which is just random place um, <laughs> but yeah awesome awesome research station and well I went out there because there's like a snake education and research team um, and I was out there working with green pit vipers 
Um, and one of the things that my boss, who was a master's student at the local university, a guy called Kurt, um, he was looking at the growth rates and like um, how much, so say you feed uh, a baby pit viper 10 grams of frog, what, how many grams does that convert to in body weight gain for the snake? He was looking at like the efficiency of um, their feeding. Um, and yeah, so he had like a bunch of these baby pit vipers. They were mostly big eyed pit vipers, but there was like one white lipped pit viper. Oh, um, so pretty. Yeah. And so I kind of like helped to look after those. And there was also some adult big eyed pit vipers as well, which we used to get out and use for like educational displays when school children would come. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, like I've kind of loosely kept some venomous there, but yeah, yeah certainly not, not something I'm in a massive hurry to do at home like um, yeah no but it's definitely one of those things you need a lot of training in yeah i mean there's definitely like a right and a wrong way to handle a venomous snake and if you've got someone who's who knows what they're doing um it, you know I, yeah it's not something you want to like take lightly for sure but um yeah i mean they are sort of kind of predictable in their behaviors um I mean, yeah yeah i was gonna say because there's a guy i don't know if you you probably have at least heard of him um because he lives in thailand as well uh, on instagram chris sweet i haven't heard of anyone called chris sweet actually okay um i'll send you his profile um and if and it's kind of one of those things it's difficult and he does he does very much advocate you know on his bio on his bio in instagram it literally says do as i say not as i do um, all right he, he handles a lot of king cobras uh um he keeps he keeps like everything from um ant colonies frogs he has a, a free roaming reticulated python in his house um and he has like a significant number of venomous uh which range from like um wagglers pit vipers to um uh king cobras etc etc and he has amazing amazing enclosures they're all bioactive um and he goes on herping trips, you know, he finds vine snakes and um, retics in trees and stuff like that. It's amazing. Um, I'll, send, I'll send you his profile. But it's one of those things because he, he free handles a lot of these. Um, and he has certain he names them all, obviously. And some one of them is called Skittles, one of his king cobras. Um, and Skittles is an absolute monster. Like it will just uh, he'll go for you whenever possible sort of thing. <laughs> like, at, at some point, like, I, I would love to keep venomous, but... I want a lot of training, but like what he's doing is just so out there. You know, he's he's rehabilitating a lot of them and he I think is planning to release them, I'm not sure. But he does a lot of stuff with Venomous and it's kind of it looks cool, but there's no way in hell I would be doing that. Yeah. <laughs> not the chance. No, I mean like yeah, certainly well, the way I was taught um is like never actually put your hand on the snake unless you have to and i mean there's some situations where people do where you like a king cobra is a good example which is a really long snake and so you might want to put your hand at the end of its tail and then use a hook um yeah, yeah. that's the main thing people use is a big long snake hook and you can do a lot with that it extends your arm by a long way and you can keep things away from you so um certainly the um the limited experience i've had with handling venomous snakes has all been very much arm's length and like yeah it makes me feel weird when i see people um handling snakes differently i mean you know people are free to do whatever they want and i'm not going to like bash anyone for doing anything yeah. uh or maybe i would but maybe not on such a public <laughs> forum but like um yeah like there's just no need to be stupid and the fact of the matter is if you're in thailand and you get bitten by a king cobra your prognosis probably isn't that good um 
like that is a seriously seriously potent neurotoxic venom which makes you become paralyzed and then stop breathing like quite quickly so yeah yeah, i mean yeah i'm sure this i'm sure this guy knows what he's doing but um yeah you wouldn't catch me like putting my hands on really venomous snakes because i think getting bitten would just suck and everyone's going to think you're an idiot (laughs) posts occasionally you just your heart drops but you do see posts sometimes when um I, i see things on instagram there's a guy on instagram i don't know if i actually follow him but i see him sometimes and he has a thing called uh, I think it's free handle Wednesday, something like that. And he just, <laughs> just gets just gets rattlesnakes out because um, he's in America, obviously. Um, and he gets these rattlesnakes out and just puts them on his body and lets them have a roam around. And I'm like, how dumb do you have to be? And then, then I saw a post on Facebook recently of a gaboon viper, which bit its owner, and he literally lost his hand within minutes. And I was like, ha, that's just ridiculous. I think I saw that post. It wasn't even an adult gaboon viper, was it? It was, no, it was, it was a baby, and it absolutely ruined his hand. Like, the top, the, the venom just went straight through him, and they had to, like, amputate his hand or something. It's just ridiculous. Yeah, the thing is, like, I'm so accustomed to having all these working appendages, and it's, like, not something I take for granted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, All right, no. well, that was um, that was an interesting little tangent. Um, <laughs> so yeah, you um, in your spare time, you are a runner. Yeah, yeah, I like running. Yeah, um, I've uh, in in some of the episodes I've I've mentioned um, that I've also just started running. Um, and you did you did a marathon? Um, I did. I ran the uh, Wales Trail Marathon. Yeah, that's the one. That's the one. Um, yeah. Which is uh, even I feel like a trail marathon is actually more difficult than a i mean a marathon is a marathon don't get me wrong but a a trail marathon is probably a little bit more difficult would i be right uh yeah i think so yeah i think they're generally regarded as a bit more difficult um so so what was that like were you in snowdonia for that uh not quite i was in a place called brennany coed which is like um if you go down the coast of wales south get to like port maddock and then cut in and go east a bit it's there. So I think it's actually a bit further south than Snowdonia. Oh, okay, right, yeah. I'm not 100% on that. Like, Snowdonia's pretty big, but I'm pretty sure it's outside <laughs> it. Um, but, yeah, like, I mean, I ran that marathon, and I ran it with my mate, who is, like, an exercise freak. Like, the guy's a lunatic. He loves yeah. it. He, like, <laughs> he lives to train. He's, like, an Adonis, right? He looks amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, he's, like, a triathlete. And I was like, yeah, sweet, I'll go do this marathon. Because he did it because he wanted, a, he wanted like, a, a challenging marathon. And I was like, well, you know, I might as well just run this trail marathon. I thought it would be a bit more interesting than running along the roads. That's fair enough, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was really good. And, I, I mean, I trained quite hard. The furthest I ever ran in training was only 15 miles, which I think should have been – it should have been about 20 miles I was running. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I mean – on the day, I was in a lot of pain. I, I'm not going to lie to you. It was, it was like some of the worst pain I've experienced. And also something which I wasn't really anticipating was like the emotional sort of roller coaster that you go on when you're running a marathon. Yeah. Um, like, I don't know whether it's different if you're in a city and there's people around, but there was one point where I was like alone for 40 minutes. I didn't see another living soul. I was just running through the woods. Yeah. And um, yeah, a little bit of like, I mean, I say a little bit, um that's not true it was like crushing despair the like of which i've never known i was like in a really dark mindset yeah Um, but then you know conversely shortly after that something would happen and then i would just be like on cloud nine feeling euphoria um 
So it was kind of like up and down of an experience. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm certainly very glad I did it. I should have prepared better. I should have practiced eating. That was one thing I didn't really do. I wasn't really prepared for the amount of food I was going to have to take on board, um, which is like properly rookie. And so I was, you know, those little gels. Have you experienced yeah. those? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, they're so sweet. I was, and they were handing them out at like the little um, top up points. Yeah. And I was getting like rhubarb and custard. And after a while, it was just yeah. making me gag. Like I couldn't cope with it. Oh my yeah. God. So basically I ran a marathon like an idiot, um, but I managed to get round and it was great. Um, and I would consider doing another one. I actually went running on Saturday with my mate and he was like sort of lightly twisting my arm. He's just done an Ironman. Oh, wow. Yeah. He just did the 10 B Ironman, which is supposed to be like one of the more difficult Ironmans, Ironmen. Um, <laughs> and yeah, he said it, I mean, he said it was a great experience, but it took him 15 and a half hours of solid exercising. Oh it's like, I think it's like a two point something mile swim and then like yeah. a 200 mile bike ride or something god awful like that and then and then once you get off the bike just run a cheeky little marathon at the end um, <laughs> cheeky little marathon yeah uh, it's just insane I mean I, I say it, at some point in my life I want to do a full Ironman but hearing things like that fearing the actual because I can't I suck at swimming like I, my my technique, I've got all my my little badges sewed onto my towel. <laughs> like, yeah, my technique is so my technique is alright. It's just my my lungs, and my heart. I just I suck. I'm just not fit enough to swim wow. more than maybe two lengths of the pool. And it, when it comes to two miles, I'm gonna struggle. You know. I think though, if you've got the technique, though, that's half the battle. Like I wish I had good swimming technique. I haven't really ever like. I've been, I mean, I had swimming lessons at school, but I've not formally swum. So I think you're probably actually like further along yeah, when you I mean, give yourself credit. Like, but it's, yeah. it's totally different though, because in Ironmans, it's mostly open water swimming. So yeah. it's totally different anyway. Like in, uh, being in a pool is completely different from being in open water. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just think that's that's an insane thing to do. And it is one of my goals now that I've started running. It is going to become st- steadily because currently all I'm doing is running about two miles and it's killing me off. So, um, and I'm going for a run later tonight and I'll see how that goes because I haven't been in a couple of days. Yeah. Um, but it's well, one of those things if you push along, you will get better. Well, this is it. Like, yeah, you just kind of increase it a little bit. I'm sure as you are probably just increase it a little bit. Yeah. I mean, the thing is as well, I find, at least for me, I found that like there was a point where I could run sort of like three or four miles comfortably without stopping. And that just like, it kind of opens you up because the length of time you're running, you kind of reach this like plateau and at least for me, I find it like a bit of a kind of, it sounds a bit of a cliche, but it's almost like a zen-like state oh, where you're sure, just like sure. yeah. running along and it's just sort of like super chill. Um, so yeah, I feel like, it, yes, it definitely gets better. Like I remember when I first started, God, it was rough. Like even running a few hundred meters was just like not nice <laughs> at all. Not, and not fun. Not fun. Yeah. And you don't even run far enough to feel the like positive emotional benefits of it. You don't even get that endorphins because your body's just wrecked so quickly. Like, are you finding now that you're running two miles, you actually get like a little buzz out of it? Well, that, that's what I'm, that's what I'm thinking because I'm like two miles is, I am not wearing a watch to track it and I'm not, I'm only doing it based off time and the timings going up and down is going to fluctuate based on my daily activity as well. Mm. Um, so it's only I'm going to have to track it for a long time um, or a significant amount of time to see any kind of downward trend of the time it takes me to run two miles. Mm. Um, but I'm I'm getting to this point where when I start running it hurts and it sucks because um, you now my knees haven't got into it yet and etc cetera, etc. Cetera. 
And then I hit this point halfway along the route. I know it sounds silly to say halfway along the route of a two mile run, but um, I get like kind of the halfway point. I hit that kind of Zen like state. Um, mm. about. And then I do feel great. I do get that kind of kick of endorphins. Um, but I think currently I'm not running quite far enough to, to really feel that properly. And it's more the kind of sense of achievement that I've been and gone for a run when I wasn't feeling it sort of thing. Yeah. It's currently pulling me along. Um, and I, I'm only doing two miles at the start, two miles now. And I'm hoping uh, kind of the way to measure it is for me is currently how I feel afterwards um, and the day, you know, the days after. Because when I my first ever two mile run that I went on uh, maybe a couple of weeks ago, um, I came back from it and the day after everything hurt. And I was like, oh, this, yeah. this wasn't fun. Um, and then and then I went for a run about ooh, four or five days ago. Um, and the day after only only like my calves hurt a little bit and that was it oh, that's good and i was like you know that that's the way to measure it how much it hurts <laughs> yeah 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 well i mean that's a good a measure as any isn't it and i mean yeah, yeah. that's uh it's a shame that like there's all these like little hurdles to accomplish though because it would be nice if your body could just be grateful for the fact that you're exercising <laughs> just help me out you know just be like okay you can be as good as mo farah now yeah <laughs> you've been for a couple of runs what how old are you because i mean you're probably um at the right age to start training because i think well how old are you i'm 22 22 oh mate yeah you see you're a baby so uh <laughs> you've got i think like most people agree that your sort of like running peak is in your early 30s. Really? Okay. So, yeah, I mean, you've got tons of time to get there and run the Ironman. I mean, um, I was, my, it's my mate Owen that just ran it, and he said, like, the average age is, like, late 20s, early 30s. But then you also get a lot of older people, too. Um, I, think, I think that's probably indicative of the time that it takes to get you up to that level. Could well be, yeah. It could well be. And also, yeah, I think it's like, it's the kind of thing that you kind of want to do. I don't know. Like, I feel like it takes a certain level of maturity to actually, like, yeah, um, train with such a rigid rigid regime to get to that point. Because, I mean, to, to exercise nonstop for 15 hours, like, I can't even imagine, like, yeah, your cardiovascular health and also your, like, determination and grit must be yeah. insane. But like, I love that. I love that. I want, you know, I want to be that healthy and I want to have that mental toughness, which is actually um, an episode that I recorded last night um, with, a, with a with a friend of mine, which I'm hopefully hopefully going to release um, tomorrow. Um, so this is kind of a, a weird one to talk about. But, yeah, mental toughness is a massive thing that I, I love and I want to be, you know, I want to be that healthy. Mm. It's just, you know, getting there is going to be so difficult. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's like you say this, like, uh, well it's a it's a mental game and i think the good thing about at least certainly for me running is that um the rewards increase as your ability increases so you've kind of got this sort of carrot dangled in front of you all the time and mm, yeah. uh, as well as the stick of pain you've also got the carrot of bliss so <laughs> at least there's that i i enjoyed that that was good <laughs> the carrot of bliss i'm going to use that <laughs> in my sports psychology stuff <laughs> So what yeah was... well i mean i don't know anything about sports psychology so uh, well yeah, I'll, probably... I'll give you a little i'll give you a little um a taste right now what was your like most difficult moment was it the 40 minutes that you were alone on, on your uh, mat um most difficult moment to be honest i think the most difficult moment was a protracted period from mile 21 to 26 where i was like in a lot of pain and i just yeah. like my legs were cramping up and oh, wow. 
Yeah, it wasn't like the entirety of that period, but there was like a few bursts. Uh, probably like actually after about mile 24, it wasn't so bad because I was like, oh, we're pretty close to the end. Like I can drag my corpse that far. But, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like there was a hill around mile 21 where I was like running in the strangest possible way. Like you it didn't even, it was, it, if you'd have seen just my silhouette, you wouldn't have recognized it as a human being traveling. It was just like this jaunty sort of like wretched horrible gate and so yeah that was probably the worst point where I was just like in so much pain and uh yeah it was, I was like why am I doing this like there's not even anyone here to cheer me on you know, my, my mate's probably finished by now he left me at like mile 11 <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh dear so well, yeah that was my yeah. hardest moment how did you how did you deal because I, I you know I've, I've been there I've experienced that you know I was cycling um and I had I was I don't know where I was maybe Italy I think I was in Italy and I was cycling up uh, some ridiculous mountain for no particular reason. And both of my um, both of my thighs started cramping up. Um, and if you've if you ever had cramp um, for those listening, you, you sometimes might get cramp in your toes um, and you might get cramp in your calf um, calf muscles. Like it, it's not it's not generally the bigger muscle groups um which is you know your your thighs your quadriceps and your glutes and stuff but my my thighs started to cramp both of them at the same time whilst I was cycling um and it in cramp is is not okay at the best of times mm-hmm. uh, and I was I was exhausted at this point and as you can tell because I was cramping and then like both of my thighs which are some of the biggest muscles in your body both just went at the same time um and I nearly genuinely i'm not even being dramatic tom i nearly died <laughs> <laughs> okay maybe it wasn't that bad but it wasn't fun and it's one of those things you know it's just kind of that dealing with that pain so you, you had quite an extended period because you know four miles or five miles isn't a isn't a sh- short length of time to be running mm. uh, especially after doing 20 beforehand um how did you actually manage that pain how did you deal with it well um i'll tell you what it was basically i was I was going and it was hurting a lot and then um I think in that period like it was about every three miles so I would imagine there was probably a stop about 21 and about 24 maybe um and it was at those stops they were giving out electrolyte drinks and little bits of banana so I had like in my what was really weird was that like my hands had become claws like I couldn't open my hands um so in (laughs) yeah yeah, so in one claw i had like three pieces of banana which (laughs) has been kind of like mashed into a pulp which i was like kind of like taking little licks from and then the other claw i had this like small cup of um electrolyte solution and what i found was that like there was some kind of magic content in these things where if i managed to have a sip which wasn't very nice it made me feel like i wanted to retch but if i had a sip and a little little chew of my banana paste the cramp would subside a few minutes later for a few minutes. So I was kind of like getting this like constant feedback loop of like, your body needs more, whatever, have some of that and it will go away. So that actually kind of kept me going, this kind of like okay. mon- monitoring of my own condition. That helped quite a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I must've been getting some pretty weird looks, but there was a, there was quite a few people in similar conditions. I mean, I'm, I, I, I was probably in the like lower half of, like bad conditions finishing but there was one guy I was running along with him for quite a bit and I was like just jogging alongside him. I mean he was, he was he was an older guy he was probably about 60 he's a big tall yeah. guy 
and um, like wiry thin. He looked like, you know, he looked like he was born to run. Anyway, I'm, I'm running along with him. We're not really exchanging any kind of conversation. We're just running together. And it's just like a little bit of sort of silent camaraderie. Yeah. And then I hear this noise like, <laughs> and I was like, what? So I like, looked over at him and I like, you know, couldn't, I couldn't tell what was going on with him. I was like, what's that noise? And anyway, like, sure enough, like, we run along for, like, another 30, 40 metres, and I just hear this, like, and I look over, and he's just, like, (laughs) done a little miniature sick straight on the floor. Oh, my God. I was like, mate, are you all right? And he was like, he just turned to me with, like, no expression, completely blank. He was like, I've got heat stroke. And I was like, (laughs) Jesus Christ, man. Like, what do you do? I was like, I was like, don't worry. I'll run ahead, as if I was going to run ahead. I was like, I'll run ahead. And I'll tell the stewards. And he's like, grabs me by the shirt. He's like, don't tell anyone. And I was like, oh, right. Because I think what would have happened if I'd have tried, like, told anyone is that they would have tried to get him to withdraw from the race. Um, yeah, yeah, fair enough. And, yeah. and obviously, being as he was at, like, mile 23, 24, wherever it might be, he was confident that he could finish with heat stroke. Uh, and I was like, okay, mate, each to his own. And then, like, I left him and I ran along. And then I got to the next... Uh, water station bit and I was like standing around there and I was like I'll just give it a minute which was nice because I was pretty keen to give it a minute anyway and sure enough he came along and he started to like eat and drink so I was like yeah he's probably he's probably fine I didn't see him at the end um but there was nothing in the news about him so presumably he was fine in the end oh my god what a story that is he was a warrior that's absolutely mental I mean yeah that's insane (laughs) I love it um, okay, that's a, that is actually a fantastic place to finish this up. Um, Tom, thank you so much for coming on. Um, I have honestly enjoyed this more than I can say. It's been so much fun. Oh, thanks for having me. Um, I'm going to have so much fun writing a title for this because I need to incorporate someone getting a heat stroke and just carrying on because that's so funny. Um, <laughs> that's just mental. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for coming on. Um, I will send you that Chris Sweet um, Instagram profile. Um, and then when I'm releasing this, I'll send you all the links. And if you want to share it anywhere, then feel free. Nice one. Yeah. So if you, you've uh, if you've got any shout outs, now is the time. Shout outs. Um, wow, that's caught me off guard. Um, Der- <laughs> um, uh, big up, mum. <laughs> well, the first person that said that, I can't believe it. Really? It's yeah. It's yeah. pretty sort of stock answer for someone who's. Bit lost for something to say on TV or the radio. Yeah, um, shout out to mum. No, yeah, no, it's just like it's nice to come on and have a have a chat, have a sit down. Um, yeah. yeah, like, yeah, keep doing what you're doing. It's cool. Well, thank you, um, and everyone, everyone listening. If you are at all interested in snakes or want to get interested in snakes, go over to Herpetological Highlights. Um, but yeah, okay, that that concludes this episode. Um, it's goodbye from me. Goodbye from Tom. And uh, yeah, I'll see you, see you all in the future.